you'd like to read with me this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 26. Acts 26, and we're going to read 24 through 30. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I'm also, but the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention since this thing was done in a corner, was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also who hear me today, might become both, almost, and altogether as much as I am, except for these change. Then he said these things. The king stood up, as well as the governor, and Bernice and those who sat with them. <clears throat> if we were to gather together a group of individuals into one place and begin to ask them their thoughts or impressions about Jesus, I think it's very likely we would receive some very different answers as far as regarding who He is, uh, what He is, and where He is. In the passage presented for us, we're introduced to three men. One is a king, one is a governor, and one is a prisoner. Within the context of this passage, this whole chapter really, we see Paul standing before King Agrippa and Governor Festus. We see them uh, uh, communicating and talking about uh, the things that had happened in Paul's life. And he begins to relay to them the thing that changed his life most. Now, I believe as we look at these three men, we find three very different attitudes and responses toward Jesus. And I think they're generally the exact same ones that we find in the world today. When we look at Festus, I believe he represents the hateful view or the hateful response toward Jesus. He mocked Paul. He was antagonistic toward the gospel. In fact, he told Paul, you've, you've lost your mind. You've gone mad. You're beside yourself. And it's all because of all this learning that you're doing about this individual. But they said the same things about Jesus when he was alive in this world. They said he was beside himself, Mark 3.21. But have you ever noticed when people in the world decide they want to give themselves to money or give themselves to power or give themselves to pleasure that no one says they are crazy for doing that. But when we want to give ourselves to God, all of a sudden we become superstitious and backwards and not having good sense. Now Paul represents those who honor God. Festus represents the hateful. Paul represents those who honor God. He gave Himself to living every single minute of His life for Jesus. Philippians 1.21 He said, To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now those who are hateful toward Jesus, they view Christians again as 
people who are odd or weird, but Peter said we were a peculiar people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen nation. But you know, we can do other things than just simply sit around and speak about God, can't we? I've known preachers who it was very difficult for them to hold a conversation with anything and they could only talk about a Bible topic. How do you get to know anyone when all you know how to talk about is one particular subject? It's hard to get to know anyone if, if all you want to talk about is fishing. I knew a fellow, a great friend of mine, uh, I knew in Memphis, and really the only conversation you could have with him was about Memphis sports, University of Memphis sports, or fishing. Well, I like to fish, but I don't care a thing in the world about Memphis sports, so we were kind of limited in what we could talk about, right? And so I knew him very well over many, many years, but we didn't have very many exciting conversations. You know, we need to branch out be able to talk about other things, and, and Christians can do that. We do a lot more than just simply talking about God. We, we involve ourselves in society. We work. We contribute. We do a lot of things. And when we give ourselves to to God, that doesn't mean that all we do is sit around studying the Bible. We do a lot of other things. Paul was a tent maker, by the way, Acts 18, verse 3. But when we give ourselves to God, what that means is that we make every single choice in this life based on the fact that I'm a Christian. That's what it means to give ourselves to God. Then, of course, we see... Something very different in Agrippa. We saw the hateful. We saw the one who honored God. And then with Agrippa, he doesn't hate Jesus, but he doesn't honor him either. In fact, he just holds himself back. He's just not doing what he he knows that he needs to do. Those who are like Agrippa, they're very, very close to obeying the gospel. They look at the gospel. They understand it. They want it to be a part of their lives. And something is keeping that from happening. We have those who have obeyed the gospel and for whatever reason they become unfaithful over time and, and they, they listen to the gospel and they know what they need to do and they want so badly to be faithful again and something is just holding them back. And we see that in Agrippa. Agrippa was being held back from obeying the gospel. He was close to committing himself to Christ. He was close to becoming a Christian in the exact same way all people become Christians and in the way Paul became a Christian. He was on the verge of after having heard the gospel because Paul delivered that to him. He told him exactly how he was converted. He was on the cusp of changing his life. He was on the cusp of repenting. Paul told him, he said, I know that you believe. He was on the point, at the point and on the cusp of confessing Christ as the Son of God. Paul made an impact on that man. He was right at the point of giving himself to God through baptism, having all of his sins washed away, but he just simply could not do it. And we see that in the world today. We see those who've done that, yet they just can't make their way back. They've fallen short of what God wants them to be and they, they have this hard time, whatever's standing in their way, of coming back, repenting of those sins, confessing their faults. Agrippa was almost persuaded. But almost is not enough. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. 
almost is not enough. You know, the Bible is filled with examples of people who were almost where they needed to be. We go back to Numbers chapters 13 and 14 and we see the children of Israel standing at the, uh, at the threshold in Kadesh Barnea on the very point of going in and taking the promised land. But they didn't. We read Judges chapter 19 and we, we learn about the tragic event of the concubine and she was uh, given to a, a city of perverted men and they abused her all night long and, and they had beaten her and she had made and crawled her way back to the very door of the house and when they came out the next morning she was lame with her hands on the threshold and she was almost in the house. But she died anyway. We talk about, or we hear about Jesus telling the scribe of Matthew 12, 28-34 that He was not far from the kingdom of God, but He was lost. Almost is not enough. Acts 26, 26 describes Agrippa as almost. He was almost a Christian, wasn't he? But he was still lost. He was almost a believer, but he was still an unbeliever. He was close, but he wasn't hardly there. He was almost there. Some of us today may be in that very same place. Some of us may be almost what God needs us to be. We may be almost faithful enough. And I don't believe there's a greater tragedy in the world than for a person to be blessed with the opportunity of hearing the gospel and with the opportunity of obeying the gospel, and they almost do that. And I think that's a tragedy that is repeated by billions and billions of people every single day. This morning, I want us to consider for a few minutes the idea of what it means to be almost saved. What was it that placed Agrippa in that position to be almost saved? He was almost saved by the truth of the gospel. That's our first point. He had heard the testimony of the scripture, hadn't he? Paul stood before him. He delivered to him that very eloquent uh, retelling of what had happened to him in his life. And he reminded Agrippa of the word of God. And he told him that he knew that he was aware of those things and that he believed them. He said, I know you believe them. But what exactly did he know? What was Paul talking about? Verse 22 tells us that he knew the law and the prophets. Jesus talked about the law and the prophets, for in them they speak of me, he said. Paul used the the truth of the Scripture to bring Agrippa to the very threshold of salvation. But almost is not good enough, is it? Many of the chief rulers believed on Jesus, but they would not confess him, John 12, 42 because they feared of being put out of the tabernacle or out of the synagogue. They they would not give up what they had in this life to become a Christian. They almost were saved. You know, belief puts us almost in Christ, doesn't it? When we read the words of Paul, Romans 10.10, he said, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We're almost there. But there's something else, right? We have to be buried 
in the waters of baptism to wash away our sins. And that's what Paul told about when he retold this account recorded for us in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Agrippa almost became a Christian because of the truth of the Scripture. But that's what the Bible's designed to do, isn't it? When we read through the Bible and we learn the things about the Bible, James tells us that it's a mirror and it shines a light on the sins of people, James 1, 23. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 12, tells us it's a sharp two-edged sword and it cuts to the dividing asunder of both body and spirit. The Bible is a hammer, Jeremiah 23, 29, and it can crush the hardest of hearts. The Bible is a fire, Jeremiah went on to say, Jeremiah 23, uh, and it will cause the coolest and the coldest heart to catch on fire for God if we allow it. The Bible's a powerful book. It can penetrate the heart. It can change lives. It can give everybody what they need, not what almost what they need. And, they'll, and it will save those who obey it, Romans 10, 17. That's what brought... Uh, Agrippa to the point of being almost saved. It was, it was the testimony of the Scripture. But he also had the testimony of the Savior, didn't he? Chapter 26 is devoted to Paul telling Agrippa what happened to him on the road to Damascus. How the Lord appeared to him. He told Agrippa how he happily gave up his life of what he had in the past to, to be faithful to God. He gave it all up, didn't he? He said it all, it's like dung to me now. He gave Himself to God. And it was greater than what anyone could imagine. And that's what Paul was trying to describe to Agrippa. The testimony of those who were in direct contact with Christ, it changed their lives forever, didn't it? We read through the gospel accounts and tell me who He came across that He didn't change their lives in some way. You know, there are people today who are still being changed by the gospel of Christ. Now, we're not witnesses. We can't testify to the things of Christ. We weren't there. We didn't see it, but we can testify to what the Bible has done for us. We've read about the accounts. We can testify that, that when we obey the gospel, the things that it gives us in this life. See, we can't, we're not eyewitnesses. We can't go testify to someone of things we haven't seen, but we know what it's done for us personally, don't we? We read about how Christ gave Himself and how He died on the cross and how that changed everything from the beginning of time. Now people can have sin forgiven. And we can let people know about that. You know, there are people in the world who are Christians today who at one time hated the church. There are people who ridiculed the Christian life and the gospel. and But it changed their lives because they allowed that to happen. And Paul made that same statement to those in Corinth. He reminded them of a few things. He reminded them, he said... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, all old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And he reminded those in Rome of the same things. He told them how they could become a part of that new life. Romans 6, beginning with verse 3, he said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we're buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even also we should walk in newness of life. See, we become something new and changed. That's what Jesus does to people. When we read about the accounts of His personal interaction, nobody left the same way as when they first met Him. 
And Paul reminded Agrippa of that. He said, these things of which I'm telling you, they weren't spoken of in a corner. Verse 26. In other words, this isn't some kind of a secret that, that we're just now exposing you to. This is, these are things that are public knowledge. He had the testimony standing right before him of the Savior, an eyewitness who spoke with Jesus, saw him on the road to Damascus, and he could tell him how it changed his life. The world knew full well about the life of Jesus. They knew about how he was murdered and hung on the cross, and they knew that he came up out of the cross, out of the grave. And that same information is known to the world today. We have that testimony recorded for us in the Bible, and we can allow that to change our lives. How many people in the world are like Agrippa? Almost Christians. But why was Christ, uh, Agrippa almost a Christian? I think there are at least two things that stood in his way from obeying the gospel. I think he fell victim to the traps of Satan. That's our second point. The first trap he fell victim to is sin, just in general, right? The power of sin is something that we better never underestimate. It devastates the souls of people. When we read about Agrippa, we learn about someone else. We learn about a woman named Bernice, and she's mentioned in Acts 25, verse 23, and she's mentioned in Acts 26, 23. Well, upon reading and, and learning a little bit about Bernice, we find out that she was married to Agrippa. She was Agrippa's wife. But in reality, she was Agrippa's sister. And she was, Agrippa was involved in an immoral relationship with his sister, and he knew that. He understood that if he gave up the life that he had and he gave himself to Jesus, he'd have to give up that sinful marriage. He understood that because Jesus requires people to repent, Luke 13, verse 3. And God requires every, everybody everywhere to repent, Paul told those in Greece, Acts 17, 30 through 31. And so the problem that Agrippa had really was the problem that he didn't want to repent. He had fallen into the trap of sin. He enjoyed what he was doing and he didn't want to leave that. You know, Jesus loves us so much that He'll take anyone, no matter who they are, but He loves us too much to allow us to remain the same. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. But He expects us to change who we are and to become faithful to Him, and to give up the sins of this life. You know, the thing about it is, most people in the world have very little they have to give up. Because the people that we know, the, the, the people that I'm around who are not Christians, they're moral, upstanding people. They don't, there's not a whole laundry list of things that they have to give up. They don't have to give up uh, being a thief. They don't have to give up uh, fornication and adultery. They don't have to give up all manner of sin. They simply have not obeyed the gospel. And they have simply not understood what God expects in this life. But see, Agrippa was in a position here where he liked where he was. He had fallen into the trap of sin. You know, I believe that's what makes most people stop. They look at where they are, they look at where they'd like to be, and they don't like the bridge that connects the two. Paul reminded those in Corinth that they had changed. So changing is possible. 
We can change the things in our lives, and we can even change big things in our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 9, Paul reminded those in Corinth that they had changed, saying this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But ye were washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It doesn't matter what kind of baggage we have. If we're willing to unload it and change our lifestyles, God wants us to be a part of His family. There may be some of us today in the shoes of Agrippa. We may be almost what God needs us to be. But we're allowing sin in some way to prevent that from happening. We Often people fall into the trap of sin and that requires repenting. That requires coming back, confessing those faults in a public manner if necessary. But, but certainly repenting and confessing to God, and that's absolutely necessary if we enjoy the benefits or are going to enjoy the benefits of eternity. But that's just one thing that stood in the way of Paul, or excuse me, Agrippa. He fell into the trap of sin, and he also fell into the trap of self. It wasn't sin the only thing. Of course, sin encompasses all things that prevent someone from being a Christian. But this idea of self, I believe Agrippa was concerned with his position. Agrippa was a king. Now, I've never been a king, and I don't know anyone who's ever been a king, but I think that's probably a pretty comfortable position to have. And he didn't want to give that up. He knew that if he obeyed the gospel, his Jewish subjects and his Roman superiors would have turned on him in exactly the same way they turned on Paul. I also believe he was considering his pride, very concerned with his pride. Who was... Who was in the room with him? Well, we know at least Festus was in the room with him, the Roman governor. He would have had had to have bowed down to an invisible God on the word of a prisoner. He would have lost all face in front of Festus. And what would Festus have done? Well, there's no doubt he probably would have gone back and he would have informed the hierarchy of what Agrippa had done and And Agrippa didn't want that. I believe Agrippa liked being the king. He liked having that authority. He enjoyed people coming before him and having to submit to him, and he enjoyed that. That's what happens to people in the world. So I believe he was without a doubt concerned about the price that he would have to pay to become a Christian. Now remember, Paul's standing before him. He's convinced him of the truth and he's looking at Paul and he's trying to count the cost and he did. Paul is standing before him chained, his body wearing the scars of his faithfulness in Christ, ultimately giving his life and that's just not something that Agrippa liked seeing. I don't think that was something that appealed to him. If he did what Paul did, he would lose all that he valued in life. And Paul was the proof of that, wasn't he? The problem is Agrippa didn't believe didn't believe and obey. 
because Agrippa didn't want to believe and obey. Belief just simply isn't enough. You have to have belief and obedience. And that's what Jesus taught, Mark 16, 16. He that believeth, and the the verb there uh, intends, he that believeth and continues to believe, and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. People do not obey the gospel or repent and return to God simply because they choose not to do that. Agrippa was almost a Christian, but almost is not enough. And because he refused God, Agrippa faced the tragedies of his decision. That's our third point. What does sin do? What does almost give us? Almost will lead to destruction every single time. If Agrippa had come to the faith of Jesus, his life would have changed forever. But that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He changes everything. We see Paul standing before the king and the governor in his chains, and but his heart is filled with joy and peace, isn't it? We see that in the text, Acts 26, verse 2. He was happy. Paul talked about the peace that passes the understanding of the world in Philippians 4. The world doesn't understand the peace the Christian has, even during difficult times. And I don't know of a more difficult time than what Paul was having here. Paul ultimately went and lost his life in Rome because of what he was doing. But what if Agrippa had obeyed the gospel instead of almost obeying the gospel? He might have converted his sister Bernice. He may have even uh, appealed to Festus, and Festus might have become a Christian. But he refused, and he destroyed his life in the process, and people's lives were destroyed in the wake of his decision. The truth of the matter is that no one goes to heaven alone, and no one goes to hell alone either. We influence our children, We influence our husbands and our wives. We influence our friends. We influence the people around us, either for good or for bad. No one goes to hell alone. Hell is not going to be a lonely place. It's going to be lonely just simply from the aspect of being separated from God. But it's going to be greatly populated. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. We need to influence the people around us. See, Agrippa had the opportunity to influence the people around him, and he almost did it for good, but he didn't. He did influence them for the bad. The tragedy of almost always leads to the to destruction, and it leads to damnation. Agrippa lived the way he wanted to live. He lived like someone who wasn't interested in God, and he almost became a Christian. But the day came when King Agrippa II, when he died, And when he died, he died apart from Jesus unless something changed that is not recorded for us. And he died without the Lord. And when he died, he lifted up his eyes being in torments, Luke 16, 23. See, almost is not enough. He joined a a whole list of people who were almost saved. And one day, we're going to stand alongside everyone else who's ever lived or anyone who ever will live And we're going to stand in judgment. And we're going to have to face the judge, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we're going to be judged on the choices that we make in this life. 
2 Corinthians 5.10. And we're going to be there with a whole host of people. And I imagine that when that happens, some people are going to have some things to say to the Lord. They're going to appeal to His love for us, even though they weren't obedient. And I believe Agrippa may say to Jesus that he believed everything the law and the prophets stated, because that's what Paul reminded him. I think he may even say, I believed everything Paul said about you. I believe that you lived the way you lived. I believe that you died the way you died. I believe that you were resurrected from the grave. And I believe you went on to to reign over your kingdom. But here's what Jesus will say, recorded for us in Matthew 7, 23. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But the sad thing is, see, Agrippa's not going to be alone. There are going to be, there will be a world of people standing there in the same position that Agrippa is in. Those who were almost convinced to be Christians. What about Judas Iscariot? He'll be standing there, won't he? He was almost faithful. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day who would not confess, they were almost converted. The rich young ruler, he walked away being sad, was almost converted. Malchus, who Peter had cut his ear off and Jesus healed it as he was being hauled off by the Roman authorities, he should have obeyed the gospel. He should have, he should have done what the apostles had uh, told the rest of the people to do on the day of Pentecost. We have no record of it. He was almost there. What about the lost thief that was on one side of the Lord? The one thief repented. And Jesus said, you'll be with me this day in paradise. What about the other one? He saw all of that. He was almost there. The soldiers who gambled for Jesus' garments and won, they'll be there. Felix will be there. Festus will be there. And Bernice will be there. Unless something changed that that we're not uh, told about. And so many more. I think the question today for us is when we stand before Jesus, will we stand on the side where Agrippa is? Will we hear the same sentence that those who were almost saved will hear? Or will we be standing with the redeemed saints hearing, Enter into your rest, thou good and faithful servant. What will almost cost us. Have you ever thought about almost? Do you recall the name William Hyatt? You may not. In 1939, he was 62 years old. He was an engineer. He was driving uh, through the Mojave Desert, and his car broke down. And so he got out to walk for help, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked in 120 degree weather, and it was hot, and he was crossing the sand, and When they found him, he had walked 20 miles. And when they did come up on him, his head and his hands were buried in the sand because he was digging for water. And a half a mile over the hill was an oasis, a stream of water that would have saved his life. He was almost there. But he spent the last minutes of his life digging for something he couldn't find. But almost is not enough. Let's examine ourselves today. Where are we at? Are we faithful or or are we almost faithful? That's the question we need to ask.
If you need to answer the Lord's invitation, whether you've never obeyed the gospel, do that. We talked about how that happens. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. Maybe you've obeyed the gospel and you've become unfaithful. Come back to God today. Don't almost be saved through repentance and confession. We'll pray with you and for you. But let that be known as we stand and as we sing.